I almost never use them when I'm speaking, but today I've got a little bit of a tickle, so I might go there. Well, our big picture framework for the last many months and the next probably year or more uh, is that we are asking God, what is it that you have for Alliance Bible Church? And what is it that you're calling us to be and do? Now, as we're going forward, the entire congregation is meeting to talk about these things. Uh, This is not something that's going to come down from the pastors, the elders, as dictated to you, the congregation. But instead, this is something that we are trusting the Lord to tell you to reveal to us so that we can distill all of that into what it is the Lord is calling Alliance Bible Church to be and do in Bartlett and beyond. Uh, So that's the big picture framework. And with that framework in mind, I just want to visit the two announcements again for this morning and let you know exactly what's going on. Now, we took an assessment online weeks ago, and it really revealed a lot to us. Now, the elders and pastors have gone through that information, and we know what it says. You don't yet. So Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock, from 4 o'clock till 5.30, we are going to reveal to you the things that this assessment has told us, and we will turn that into a prayer meeting as we pray through those issues and ask the Lord what he wants to accomplish in Bartlett, uh, Alliance Bible Church in Bartlett through us. Go ahead, Karen. What can I do for you? Yes, that will also be online. You're welcome, and thanks for reminding me. So yeah, that that will be a time when if you can't physically be here Friday at 4 or Saturday at 4 o'clock, you can log in online and engage in the prayer meeting. Once that prayer meeting is over, we will post online or email one or the other to you the entire report so that you can see exactly what we see. And to tell you the truth, we had to be guided through the process of understanding it. So it might be a little overwhelming, but you'll have all the information. The second thing I want to let you know is that over these past weeks, we haven't just been coasting. There are some things that the Lord has revealed just directly in his word and also through the past ministries that we've been involved in. Now, we have it without question, and we are not doubting this in any way, that the Lord has called his church and commissioned us to carry the gospel into the world. And so we know that whatever he's calling us to, that's part of it. Um, At the same time, some of our older ministries that have been ongoing for a while are two uh, families through their children in the local grade schools, the Crossroads Ministry. Uh, So uh, not this coming Saturday, the 14th, but the week after that, the 21st, 
from 4 o'clock till 6.30 is the splash event, which will kick off our Crossroads ministry for the year. Now, there are some challenges we're facing as a result of COVID and some decisions that the school district is making, but we are finding ways to be faithful to the Lord's calling. And uh, you just need to be here in order to figure out what it is, find out what's going on and become a part of it. So next Saturday, 4 p.m. to 5.30, prayer meeting. The Sunday after that, 4 o'clock till 6.30, the splash bash, and that's where we're going. Saturday, did I, what did I say? Sunday? Saturday. Saturday, the 14th. Saturday, the 21st. Thank you. Okay, well, as I said, uh, I have the privilege of bringing a message to you this morning. And Pastor Alex and I, or at least Alex has been filling me in on the direction he's taking through the book of Exodus, uh, asked me to focus on a particular passage of scripture, but drill down into one specific uh, area of that passage. Now, as you know, We've been in the book of Exodus for a long time and looking at basically chapters 31 through 35 for a while. And in that passage of scripture, there's a lot of events that occur, but there are also a lot of themes that unfold. And so we've been looking at those themes over the last several weeks, and today is no exception to that. So let me ask you a question. Because today's theme involves looking at a couple of heroes, a couple of biblical heroes. So when I ask you, and you can give me a show of hands, when I ask you, when you think of biblical heroes, who do you think of? Just go ahead and shout it out. Who do you think? Who? Joshua. Excellent. Moses. Very good. David, yeah. Samson, okay, biblical heroes. Well, that's a pretty good one. I actually listed him here in case everybody forgot. Uh, Any others? Paul, yeah, Peter, Paul, Jesus, Adam and Eve, Abraham, Joseph, I mean, and, and all of these others. These are the guys we generally think of. And there's a lot others to choose from, aren't there? Whose favorite is Jonah? Didn't think so. Uh, Well, here are two scriptures, or two heroes from scripture that probably none of us think of first, or second, or twelfth, or ever. And, And actually, they probably don't come to mind at all. Bezalel and Oholiab. Who's favorite? Yeah, there we go. Bezalel and Oholiab. So who are these guys? And why are they important enough for God to give them a shout out to Moses on Mount Sinai? That's crazy because that's exactly what happened. 
these guys, God identified to Moses on Mount Sinai where nobody else could hear about them, but they got recorded in Scripture. So, I've already recapped for you our renovation process. Uh, renovation is what we're calling this investigation into what it is that God is calling us to be. And there is actually something we can learn from these two guys, Bezalel and Oholiab. Guys, we may never have considered in the past. So who are these guys and why are they important enough for God to give a shout out to Moses on Sinai? So let me set the stage for this. This is an interesting. The children of Israel at this point in the book of Exodus are camped out at the foot of Mount Sinai. And what's going on in chapter 20, because I'm going to build up to where we are so that we understand the flow of events here. See, God has already given the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other laws he calls ordinances. He gave them to Moses, and Moses related them to the people in chapter 20. Now, in the setting, there was on the mountain... Thunder, clouds, smoke, thick darkness, lightning, earthquakes, and it's just all of these terrifying things all at one time. And the people were terrified, so much so that they told Moses that they were afraid and that he should tell God not to talk to them anymore. You talk to us Have God tell you what he wants, and then you talk to us, because we're basically afraid of this guy who shakes the mountains and hides them in deep darkness and fire. So, God commanded them to build an altar. And then in chapters 21 through 23, God related several laws to Moses And the altar was built. In chapter 24, Moses actually sacrificed on the altar and read to the people what God had told him. And the people all agreed and said, whatever God says, that's what we're going to do. That's a really good thing. Especially in face of this awesomely terrifying God who shakes mountains and hides them in deep darkness. Well, after that, God called Moses back up the mountain. And I'm sure that if I was there at the foot of the mountain with this altar already afraid of this God who's shaking the mountain, when I saw Moses going up there, I'd be pretty confident that I'd just be waving goodbye to Moses for the last time. Because, wow, you don't go there. 
So God called Moses back up the mountain, and the people watched Moses disappear up into the cloud, the lightning, the fire, the smoke, the thunder, the earthquake, and they waited. For 40 days, they waited. In chapters 25 through 30, while Moses was on the mountain with God and the people were waiting, God was telling Moses things. God told Moses to take up a collection and to build the tabernacle with all its furnishings. God gave Moses specific instructions on the layout and the furnishings of the tabernacle, as well as details about the priests, how they work to conduct themselves, what kind of sacrifices they were to make, how they were to dress, even how they washed themselves. And then, after all of that, God names these two guys, Bezalel and Oholiab in chapter 31. So I'm just going to read that passage from chapter 31 of Exodus, where God says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill. That they may make all the things I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat upon it, and all the furniture of the tent, the table also, its utensils, and the pure gold lampstands with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering also with all its utensils, the laver, its stand, the woven garments as well, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons, with which to carry on their priesthood the anointing oil also, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, they are to make them according to all that I have commanded you. And then in chapter 32, the golden calf incident, which we all know so well. But it didn't come until after this. So literally, literally, the last two things 
that Moses said, or that God said to Moses on Sinai before the calf incident. Literally, the last two things were the work of Bezalel and Aholiab, and then something we didn't read, he talked about the Sabbath. So here's the thing. I want you to build all these things. I want you to make all these items, this tabernacle, its furnishings, all of its boards and sockets and curtains and, and, and all of the, the table for the showbread, the, the altar, the laver, everything that goes with it. Make special clothes for, for the priests, for Aaron, and uh, for his descendants after him. Do all of this stuff and rest. Take a Sabbath. Work on these things for six days, but on the seventh day, rest. And here's an interesting thing. The Lord spoke to Moses right immediately after what I just read. The Lord spoke to Moses, as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, observe my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The Sabbath, right there, God connected keeping the Sabbath with sanctification. Now, what is sanctification about? That's a big idea, right? No, it's not that big idea. It's kind of like what God did with Bezalel and Oholiab. He identified them and set them apart to do a specific work. That setting them apart is sanctification. So he takes these two guys out of the midst of the people and he sets them apart for something special. So when God says to the people, keep my Sabbath because that's how... People know that I sanctify you. What he's saying is, when you keep the Sabbath, instead of working to make yourselves rich, like was going on in Egypt when you were slaves and constantly working all day, every day, instead of that, take a Sabbath rest. And that will tell the entire world that I have set you aside for myself. Even when setting you aside for a day means stopping the work of my tabernacle. So who are these guys? And why are they important enough for God to give them a shout out to Moses on Mount Sinai? Let's focus here for a minute on the beginning of chapter 31. There are three words I want to identify. First, the word called. For he says, I have called Bezalel by name. And then he says, filled. I have filled him with my spirit in order to perform all of these skills that are going to be necessary to build the tabernacle. And then he says, 
appointed. I have appointed Aholibab. Is that it? Aholiab. Aholiab. To assist, basically. And then an interesting thing happens several chapters in the future. God says about these guys, Bezalel, Aholiab, they are anxious to teach. So what we have here is this declaration. I've identified these guys. I've called them. I've filled them, given them everything they need in order to be able to perform, and I've appointed them to do these tasks. But one of the things we often miss right in that same passage in the beginning of Exodus 31 is this idea that God has put skill into everyone who has skill. So if you're skilled at anything, that honors God. It's because he has put it in you. If you have skill God has put that skill in you. And then, of course, there's sanctification, right? He has not only given us skill, abilities, talents, he has also set us aside for a specific work. Just like Oholiab and Bezalel. Now, don't miss this. The setting is God is revealing his plan to Moses. And he's basically saying, somebody else is going to do it. Okay, Moses, here's my plan for what I want done. Somebody else is going to do it. And that somebody else is All of the people in whom I've put skill. More than that, he started out by saying, take an offering. Take an offering from all the people. So what we have is this principle here, that each one of us has been given by God something he wants to use in order to carry out the plan that he's revealing to his leader and calling certain people to do. So who's left out? Nobody. They're all part of the plan. They all have some part in carrying out what God has planned, revealed, and called us to be. Now, yes, this is about the tabernacle, about the tabernacle in the wilderness. Yes, this is immediately said, this is said just immediately before Moses goes down the mountain and finds the calf. And then there's this huge thing about judgment and some of the Levites passing judgment in God's name on some people and then it stops and we're then left exactly where Alex left us last week God removes himself from the middle of the camp and he is someplace distant where the people can see him, but he is not in their midst. 
And so Moses would go to the tent. And he would meet there with God. And everybody would stand in the doorway of his own tent going, there's Moses with God. And we're over here. There's an overriding dynamic, an overriding principle, a truth about all of this. See, after the golden calf incident, after that judgment, after God removes himself from the camp, the fallout of that incident was that God would no longer be in their midst. And he said, that's it. You guys move on. Basically, here's my mountain where I dwell. And yeah, you've built this tabernacle, or at least I've given you the plans for this tabernacle. But the people have, number one, committed to follow, and number two, gotten impatient and worshiped elsewhere. Okay, so what do we have going on? All of this is real-life events, but they're also pictures, pictures of what would be in the future. Moses, at this point, does an amazing thing. He takes up the role of high priest. And in chapter 33, here are Moses' words to God. Moses says this, The Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses. Depart. Go up from here, you and your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. God says, I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up with you in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. The people heard this sad word. They went into mourning. And none of them put on his Sunday go to meet and close. They put, would not put on their ornaments. Because the Lord said to them, you are obstinate. And should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now put off your ornaments from you. Then in verse 12 of chapter 33, Moses says this. See? You say to me, bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. More than that, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation 
is your people. And God said, my presence shall go with you. And I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go, do not lead us up from here. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by you going with us so that we, I and your people, who are upon the face of the earth may be distinguished from all other people? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have sworn, I have known you by name. And then Moses becomes really bold, as if that wasn't bold. And Moses becomes really bold. I beg of you, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion on whom I will show compassion. So, this has really got to be confusing for Moses, for the people. Because we have this feels like flip-flopping. Um, yes, we will do everything the Lord has said. 40 days later, we're tired of waiting for God to reveal his plan. Make us a God. Golden calf. Moses, the people have sinned a great sin. Go down. So Moses goes down. There's judgment, there's more terror, there's probably confusion, there's frustration, there's anxiety, and Moses knows the plan. Build the tabernacle. Create the priesthood. Get it all going. So what? So what? That's what Alex always says, right? So what? Well, there are four things that we have to learn from this, especially when we contrast the fact that the tabernacle was the predecessor to the temple. And the temple was going to be the place where God was going to make his name to dwell. He was going to take, he just gave Moses this plan. And in the plan was build the Ark of the Covenant with a mercy seat on it. And God's plan all along, we know, was that he was going to cause himself to dwell on the mercy seat between the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, in the holy place, in the tabernacle, but eventually in the temple. And 
And today, the temple is in ruins. Today, in 2021, the closest thing there is to a temple on Mount Zion is a wall that wasn't even part of the building. And that is the holiest place in Judaism. But in the New Testament, we have this incredible reality that the temple stands and that the real dwelling place of God's glory is in the people he has called and filled and appointed. We, those who trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are the temple of God. And God is dwelling in this place, this place that is not a building made of plaster and wood and concrete. It's a building made, as Peter says, of living stones. You, he says, are living stones being built into a dwelling place for God. So what? Well, we need to know four things as we move forward. And remember, all of this is under that overarching principle that we are like the people at the foot of Sinai in some respects, waiting to hear God's plan for what we will be and do in the future. But from this passage, from this extended passage, with all of these different complicated concepts in it, we have to move forward. We have to move forward in renovation, what we're calling our search for God's plan for us. And we need to recognize that we are the ones who display him to the world. We talk about ourselves being winsome. We are not Sinai with thunder and lightning and fire and thick smoke and impenetrable darkness and earthquakes terrifying people away from God. We are to be more like Sion where God dwells and a river flows out for the healing And there are trees planted, the leaves of which heal the nations. We are that delightful place, not that terrifying place, if we know these four things. So, so what? First, we need to recognize that knowing God causes people to desire to please him. If people know God, that causes them to desire to please him. How do we know? We learn this principle from Moses speaking directly to God saying, go with us. Show me your ways that I may see you, that I may know you and please you. Moses understood the relationship, the cause, the effect. Knowing God causes people to desire to please him. That's in chapter 33, verse 13. The second thing we need to know, the so what. God with us 
That is, the whole idea of Emmanuel, God dwelling in the midst of his people, God with us makes us distinct. It makes us unique. It makes us different from everybody else. It sets us apart. It sanctifies us as belonging to him, but also characterized by his presence. Characterized by the things that once we know him, we do in order to please him. Chapter 33, verse 16. So I need to be, I think, a little more practical right here and identify what is it that makes us distinct. And so I want to read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3, in which Paul is writing to Timothy, someone he has taught just like Just like Oholiab and Besley, I can never remember the names. But those two guys taught people. This is Timothy, who Paul taught and who Paul trained to teach others. Who would teach others? And Paul says this, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful. Arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Think about the world around us. Think about those things. Some of the things that most characterize our culture in America today are the whole idea of rejecting God, holding on to those things that we desire, using our own wisdom, dividing rather than uniting, becoming malicious, violent. Abusive. We are to be different from that. And as we know God, it will cause us to desire to please him. As we know him better, people will see him in us and desire to know him and desire to please him. That is the thing about which we are unique in the world. We have God dwelling among us, not just among us like, oh, yeah, he's on one of the chairs in the room. No, in our very heart. We are, each one of us, called by name. We are each indwelt by his Holy Spirit, filled, and must be continually being filled with his Spirit. And we are appointed to tasks. Every one of us has a part in carrying out the plan, whether it's in contributing or whether it's in working or whether it's in overseeing. So what? Number three. 
People come to know God as he calls, fills, and appoints us to put him on display. That's what I just explained again. I'm not going to do it again. I'm just going to move on to number four. So what, number four? What God does to make himself known, he does through all his people. What God does to make himself known after Moses prays, go with us, is to show us his glory, just as Moses requested. Show me your glory. And when God showed him glory, how did God characterize it? He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now, that goodness is closely related to a word in the New Testament, in Ephesians, where it says, the fruit of the Spirit is, and eventually it gets down to goodness. And that goodness means moral uprightness. In in our day, a lot of people are accusing Christians and God of being judgmental. Rather than loving. A lot of times, moral purity is seen as judgment. But that's not what we are about. God reveals that to us in order to help clean up our lives. But we are to be what God said about himself when he caused his goodness to pass in front of Moses. The Lord. The Lord God Almighty. Bounding in loving kindness, patient. That's the God that people see through us. Or it should be the God they see through us. And so there they are, the four so what's this morning. So what? Well, knowing God causes people to desire to please him. God with us makes us distinct And people come to know God as he calls, fills, and appoints us to put him on display. And lastly, what God does to make himself known, he does through all of us. Now, those are things we know. Those are things we are carrying with us as we walk through the renovation process. Those are things that the Lord has already revealed. And we will pursue them together. So that's it. If there's a question at the end of it, it's, will you? Will we? Will we know God better? Will we desire to please him? Will we be distinct? Will we recognize our calling, our filling, and our appointment? And will we be the ones who reveal him as we walk through the world, as we walk through our daily lives, as we come into contact with people? Our prayer is that we will do this. 
And so I'm going to close this up with that prayer and then a song. Father, you have called us to be something special, something unique. You have called us to be the place where the King of Kings reveals himself. And you have called us to be the anchors of your goodness on the earth. You are near to us, and that is our anchor. You give us hope. You give us grace. You ask us to fully surrender and to submit ourselves to you. And that is our prayer. That you, our great redeemer and constant friend, faithful father, Remain near to us. Remember your promise forever. And remind us that it and you are true. For the sake of your kingdom that you're building through Jesus in whose name we ask it.